Welcome to the Creative Financing Podcast, where you'll learn how to structure terms and use various creative financing strategies to create profitable deals for short and long-term wealth. Whether you're a buy and hold investor, wholesaler, or flipper, learning creative financing will help you do more deals and unlock profits that you may not even know existed. On the Creative Financing Podcast, we break down actual deals we and our guests are doing and simplify the methods and terms used to execute these strategies. Now, let's dive in and create some terms. Hello and welcome to the Creative Financing Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Gallegos, here with... Jeff Rappaport. Hey, Jeff. How are you today? I'm great. How are you, Jonathan? Good, good. I got a little cold going, so um, my voice sounds uh, a little unnatural or maybe not not the way it normally sounds, that's why. But uh, I think you got the radio voice going on. Probably that deep <laughs> yeah. radio voice. <laughs> um, so today... We're going to talk about, uh, it's just going to be a Q&A. It's going to be me drilling you with some questions that I came up with myself. And it, really, it's geared for beginners um, and how beginners can get started uh, making uh, creative financing offers. Okay. Um, and I also am setting up, or I have a phone number set up, uh, and I'll we'll give that at the end of this podcast because I don't have it at hand right now. Okay. But... Uh, what we're going to do with you guys out there, we'd love to know exactly what you guys want to learn when it comes to creative financing. Uh, if you guys need help structuring a deal, we would love to hear about it. And um, what I would like you guys to do is just call in. Uh, and it, it's just going to go straight to voicemail. It's going to say you've reached the Creative Financing Podcast. Please leave your info. We'd like you guys to leave your your name, what market you're in, and then tell us about the deal uh, briefly. We don't want to hear the entire seller story of how they got into the situation they're in because, you know, that could be a 30-minute voicemail or whatever. But we just want to hear the, the details. Jeff, what information would you need um, if we were going to help someone structure these these seller finance uh, deals? So the, the information that I need absolutely would be the ARV. So the comps as the after repaired value. I need to know what they owe, what the payment is, whether that includes their taxes and insurance. If it does not, I need to know at least what their taxes will run. I'd certainly need to know what kind of condition the property's in, so what kind of work it may need. And then really, if there's a particular motivation or need, uh, something like that, what? why are they selling? I think that's enough information that we can put together some deals. Okay, so just to recap, you need the ARV after repaired value. You need to know what is owed on the mortgage, what their payments are, what the taxes are, what kind of condition the property is in and kind of what their motivation is. Correct. correct? Yeah. Okay. Everything else is you're wasting your breath. Okay. And I'll have that on the voicemail. So um, when you guys call in and it goes to voicemail, it'll say, Hey, if you're, if you need help structuring a deal or, you know, you, you need some guidance on where to go with it. This is the information we need. If we do not have every piece of information we need, you your question will not be answered on the show. So we're going to be taking these questions, answering them on the show. Um, so I'm going to be presenting the questions to you, and, and you're going to be answering them because, um, you know, again, you're you're my mentor in this, and uh, this, is, this is my journey learning from you. Um, 
So without further ado, today we're going to dive into some questions that I have, uh, like I said, and uh, I'm just going to fire away here. A lot of these are geared towards, um, you know, beginners and learning how to do this. So question number one, Jeff, if a person is just starting out, what would you recommend they start with as far as making creative offers? So in other words, what kind of offers would you recommend beginners start making? And as I go down these questions, some of them overlap. We might cover one or two things. Uh, so just keep that in mind. So I think the easiest strategy to implement right from the start is lease options. And the reason for it is, is that you're not dealing with any interest rates or balloon payments, uh, down payments. It's called an option deposit. It's a straight rent. You're probably not offering any money up front to the seller. You may end up giving them something more like a security deposit. And you're structuring a term. They're very simple. The paperwork's very simple. The concept is very simple. I think that's the best way for someone to start out doing. And as you progress and you get better at understanding how some of the numbers come together, start using a financial calculator. Now you can start branching out into more of the owner finance. Okay, so lease option. So what's the two two pieces of documents that you would need for a lease option? The actual lease agreement, just as if it were a rental. Okay. And then a separate document, which would be an option, which allows the, the buyer, the tenant buyer, to have the right to buy the property at a certain price within a certain term. Okay, and would you recommend those always being separate instead of one document? I would. If so, why? Uh, the biggest reason why is that if if at any point there was a default, the, the tenant buyer stopped paying you, you want to be able to go evict them. If you have it as one document, the judge may look at it a little differently. Unless the tenant buyer actually brings in both documents, which they typically don't when they're behind on payments, they're looking, you were only submitting the, the lease. So that's all you're dealing with. Right. Very good. Cool. Next question. Uh, what kind of questions should a beginner ask and how should they phrase it specifically when seeing if a seller is open to these creative financing strategies? And, <laughs> I, I, I like this you, question. I know you kind of have your own questions that you ask. So um, I think I have another question similar to that on my list here, but go ahead. So, you know, one of the things that, that, first of all, you should determine what, who is your target and who you're, you're talking to. So it's probably a little different conversation if you're sending out direct mail or you're doing some kind of online marketing and people are calling you as compared to you making outbound calls. And really the only thing that needs to change is maybe the introduction. But when you're pre-screening a seller, what we like to do, and we probably should do uh, an entire episode just on how to pre-screen a seller. Okay. Uh, I, I like to do it where you, you talk about, you make the introduction and then you set an agenda. And the agenda is how long this may take why the re the reason that you're asking certain questions you want to give them permission to tell you no so that they feel a little more comfortable that you're not trying to pressure them and then move into you know hey tell me a little bit about the property the condition now let's talk about what's owed on the property that kind of stuff so what i would say is 
the way that we transition is so if we're we're gathering information and I don't care if it's a for sale by owner for rent an incoming call we're going to go through we're we're going to set the agenda we're going to tell them what we do we we buy properties one of two ways cash or terms we go into tell us a little bit about the property bedrooms bathrooms that kind of stuff all right great um what do you think the how would you rate the condition of the property uh, what kind of work does it need? And then we'll try to get a little more specific. What about the kitchen? When was it last updated? All of that kind of stuff. Okay? Yeah. Pretty simple, pretty standard. And then we'll start moving to, um, so remember when we told you that we buy houses one of two ways, cash or terms, would you consider taking payments for your equity is the question that we ask. And typically the answer is, I don't know, what does that mean? And our response is, I'm not sure either at this point. Uh, what we can do, though, is we could get you monthly payment, potentially a pretty good cash flow. We'll get you some money up front, and the balance of your money will be paid to you sometime in the future. So, it's kind of like being a landlord without all the headaches that come along with it. Okay, so that's interesting that you say, well, I'm not sure either at this point. Well, it's not me. So the person that's taking those calls right. is not the person putting together the offers. So they don't know yet because we haven't even gathered the information and at this right. point. You're right. Yeah. It's just, it's, I think it's kind of funny that you would say, well, I don't know either, but <laughs> I like that actually, because um, it's, it's really at that point, it becomes you coming up with an alternative solution for them. Well, at this point we haven't even talked about what's owed on the property and that's where right. we're going to go next. And the, the offers potentially change. I mean, if it's a free and clear house, we have infinite amount of options available. Right. If, you know, it's a $250,000 home, they owe two thirty five. they have very few options available. Right. So for me to tell them or whomever to tell them that we're not sure, we don't know yet. Um, yeah. We got to still run our comps. We got to do our research. We got to understand what's owed. We got to understand what the needs and wants are of the seller. So, and that'll help us lead into, great, do you, is the property free and clear or do you have a mortgage on it? Yep. And I think people are so scared to ask this question. It's funny. But I agree. It, it's really not that big of a deal. And if you've set the agenda correctly and you've led into it, that it's it's no big deal, really. Yeah. And, and on that point, I would just like to add what I like to ask. And I've never really came up um, against opposition when asked, when phrasing the question this way how much is owed against the property? So you're separating the person from the debt and it looks like the debt is just attached to the property and not the person a in, great idea. in perception, right? Um, so I've, I've always had success um, ask, phrasing the question that way, how much is owed against the property? And I've, I've, like I said, I've never really had any opposition um, from sellers on that. And I think that's a great, that's a great tip. And I would tell you, there's a bunch of different ways that you can ask it. I mean, there's an assumption. I assume that the property's free and clear, correct? Yeah. No. Oh, you owe something about how much do you owe? Or, um, how much are we going to have to clear if we pay you cash? Uh, th there's a number of different ways that you can go about it. But in my experience, really the, the key thing is if you set the agenda Up front. And, and you're creating some rapport while you're going through this and you, you're not feeling like a salesman type person, uh, 
people will be much more willing to give you that information. The other thing I would tell you is that when we're not able to get the information the first time, so the very first time, whether it's an outbound call or an inbound call, we're almost 100% can get it a second time. So if we have a follow-up call, we can get it that time. Absolutely. Well, I love that. Um, I love the fact that you're like, well, we don't know yet either because I think in the, in the, the mind of the seller, it's like, okay, well, that's fair. Um, and as you ask them more questions and they give you more information, they would, they probably feel like, you know, you're going to, you're helping them come to another solution. Like well, and, I, and I think two things is one, I would think that a lot of it's your attitude, how you're asking it, when you're asking it. And I think people are very concerned about asking it because they expect that there'll be an objection. So you got to ask it like, I'm expecting to get an answer rather than I'm expecting you to be resistant. And the second part is, is that if they do have an objection, you should be prepared to handle it. And we do it very simply. It'll be something to the effect. You remember when, when we talked about how this discussion would go earlier and that we buy properties one of two ways, cash or terms. If I don't have that information, I'm not able to structure any kind of terms. So by not giving me that information, are you telling me you don't want more than one option? Because it would only be a cash option at that point. And remember, I can pay a lot more if you'd be open to payments for your equity. That's awesome. So about uh, how much do you owe on the property? You yeah. ask the question again. again. Yep. So you loop it. I love that. Okay. So uh, that kind of that kind of transitions into the next question. If a seller doesn't know what creative financing is or what you know some of these other strategies or solutions are for them, how do you explain it to them? So you're to the point where uh, let's just assume you made offers like a contract for deed or um, all-inclusive trust deed or wraparound or something like that. Uh, if, a, if a caller says, you know, I like this offer, Jeff, but what, what does that mean? How do you explain it? So first of all, the, the way that we typically deal with this is that we've gathered information from pre-screening. We've then done our research. We put together an LOI, an LOI, a letter of intent, and we map out each offer. So there may be one offer, cash, or there may be multiple offers, some owner financing, a lease option, a seller carryback, could be any number of different things. And what I do is, so I map out all the details in the each offer, and then I have a paragraph. So if I'm doing contract for deed, I talk about how contract for deed works and why it's good for the seller in terms of, you know, if there was a default, that there's a forfeiture process, you can actually get the property back, you're going to remain on title. It's just one paragraph, but it's a description to help so, them understand. So you're actually including this in the, I do in the letter of intent. I do. Okay. So so that that really kind of saves you from explaining a lot of it. A lot of it. Yeah. On the phone, when you when you get them back on the phone and say, hey, which offer do you like? Because they can read that paragraph and they can kind of get a, a general idea of what that means. That's a great idea. Yeah. The trustee, you know, if it's a wrap, the same kind of thing. I have a paragraph that I use for when we use trustee to note. Uh, I don't have one for seller carryback, mostly because I think it's 
fairly self-explanatory in the offer. Um, I don't really have one for a lease option, but you certainly could explaining that. I think more people understand that than owner financing. So I usually have an explanation of contract for deed or if it's a wrap or a trust deed and note. And then our acquisition manager will, when he talks to them, will answer any questions, go over the offers and how they work with them. And if they ask specific questions, then he'll answer them. But it, I think real estate investors sometimes want to educate more than they really need to. And so uh, let me tell you how I'm going to buy this subject to the mortgage. Like that should never come out of your mouth ever. I'm going to buy your house and I'm going to buy it with the debt that's already on it. Okay. I'm going to keep making payments. At some point in the future, I'm going to get a new loan or I'm going to refinance and your loan is going to be taken out. Do you have any questions? No subject to, no, I'm going to do this contract for deed or we're going to wrap this thing. It's like when you start getting all those technical terms. People are like, whoa, what? Huh? Yeah, that's because a confused mind always says no, right? Correct. So if they're confused. If you're confusing them in your explanation of what you're going to do for them, then they're just going to say no because they don't understand. It could be the best solution for them, right? But they're going to say no because they don't get it. Very rarely do they ask like the technical questions like, what type of contract are you going to use or how is that? You know, what, what's the, the strengths and weaknesses of it? It's more of, tell me what it's going to do for me. How is it going to work for me? And, you know, one of the things that I, and I'm constantly tweaking our LOI because I want to, I want to try to present it in such a way that it is very simple to understand. There is no confusion. You know, I've had some times where the payment would be, let's say, $300 more than their current payment. But they think for some reason that the $1,200 is on top of the $1,200 or the $900 a month payment. payment so they're uh-huh. getting $2,100. So I, I've simplified that or I show them how much money they're going to make over the course of you know whatever term it is. So they can start seeing the bigger picture. So my LOI is not as simple as here's the purchase price, here's the interest rate, here's the term. You know, what do you do? Yeah. And I gotta, I gotta admit, I've fallen in the trap of trying to educate the prospective seller too much, trying to offer them too much information on what I'm going to do, because I have a tendency to get real technical. And I say, look, we can buy it this way if we do this, this, and this, you know. And I, you know, that that never works for me. And and I think this is kind of one of the harder things to probably learn when it comes to creative financing is how to talk to sellers in that way. Um, and really on their level, uh, especially if, you know, if, if you're, if you're someone that likes to get real technical, like I do, then, um, you know, I, I really have to dumb that, dumb that down, so to speak, I guess. Well, so, I, I actually, I really think the key to it is less is more. So, when you, Great advice. Great so, advice. I like that. So when you start understanding the terminology, how things start to work, this is where it gets a little dangerous because you're comfortable enough to start throwing stuff around, but not total comfortable how it all comes together. <laughs> yeah. So I would say I'm in that boat. So what, one of the things I used to, we used to, we still do, we have our, 
our apprentice program. And we used to teach our apprentices a lot more of how to deal structure type owner financing. And I remember a couple of years ago, we had someone and she went out and she was talking to a seller. Uh, and in her mind, she was trying to talk to him about owner financing. However, she was confusing it with lease options. So it was, there was a rent, but there was a down payment. There was a term. The way she explained it, I'm like, you're not explaining either one. You're in the middle of two and that doesn't really exist. So you can't have a lease option with an interest rate. You can't have a, uh, owner financing deal with a rent. So that those are two <laughs> separate things. So I think that, you know, one of the things that I've also had to help people on the phone with is that they try to give too much information the first time. So you, you bring this up, this payment for equity, and people say, well, I'd want 20% down. They say, well, I, I could uh, maybe do 15. It's like, what, why are you trying to get into a negotiation? You haven't done any research on this property yet. Or Very sometimes they'll just say, well, what kind of down payment are you offering? Oh, I don't know, like 10%. Why would you possibly throw out a number? So, you, you don't know yet. So to me, it sounds like a lot of your success comes from not giving them too much information over the phone for the first, you know, uh, from the initial call or maybe the second call, but really sending them that letter of intent and then, and then diving deeper into it then, because it sounds like you're just, you're collecting information, finding, finding out if they're open to it. Okay. You got the info, they're open to it. Now you craft something. So you're not negotiating any of that stuff with them. Um, and then you send them out some offers that worked for you and then you get them on the phone again and and dive into whether you know what works for them what they like right so there there, there are definitely different schools of thought of how to deal with this and it really depends on who you have dealing with those phone calls up front so if it's if you're a one man show and you understand your offers and what you're trying to structure there's no problem in basically going through and saying, okay, so uh, you would consider taking payments for your equity. So now you could kind of dive into what what are you thinking in terms of payments? Or I assume that you'd, you'd sell with no money down and start negotiating the down payment. There, There is certainly something to be said about that, but it really depends on who the person is that's on the phone the very first time. Well, they, so, they really have to understand creative financing. They have to, they've, they've had to structure deals before and been able to sell those, right? At, at least have they an have, understanding have have, of what they're trying to accomplish. Well, so, I would think you need some kind of experience to have that confidence. It, it, in, in our organization, we have one person that takes the initial phone call and his job is to do two things, create rapport and gather information right. and co as complete information as possible and that's that's his role i'm not asking him to try to negotiate the deal on the phone to tell us whether it's truly a deal or not that's Absolutely. not his role we right. have someone else that does that uh if you're a one-man person or one-man business and you're answering the calls i mean maybe you want to do that because you don't have time to 
go do research on every deal and create an LOI for every lead that comes in. Maybe you want to jump to these are the people I want to get to the most either motivated or most willing to do business with you right now. But that's how we do it. And I would tell you, it, it goes back again to that question that you thought was so interesting when they asked me, I'm not quite sure what that means. And I say, I'm not sure either. <laughs> and to me, as of right now, don't I know. don't know. Absolutely. <laughs> and you really don't know that till you, you get all this information and you put some offers together. Correct. Then you, then you do know. I just want to know what they're open to at this point. So, and then I want the facts and then I can kind of construct something that, uh, and anything else that I might be able to find out. So if I know that, Hey, they're going to take money and they need it for some particular reason. So, uh, they need five grand, they need eight grand, they need something for a particular reason. Then I can try to structure to get them what they need. Or if they need a certain cash flow, I can look at that particular situation, try to get it. Because if you really listen and if you really dig and you find out what the potential issues are and then you can solve them, I mean, a lot of times you get a deal. So that kind of that, that goes right into my next question. How do you know what kind of offers to make and what is your starting point? Walk us through that process. Oh, uh, that's... Uh, Simple question, not an easy answer. So, give us the bullet point. One of one of the things that I look at is that I, I try to look at some different aspects of each deal. So, I know that most people are motivated by price. So, I typically like to have a price that's high, either their asking price or maybe even more, because I want to get their attention by price. Okay. But the rest of the terms will favor me. So they may either be a longer term or they may be little to no interest. Something that favors me because we got to counteract that price. Absolutely. Another offer may be more traditional where it's not, it might be 90% of the ARV or 90% of what they're asking. And but a solid interest rate somewhere between 4 and 5% amortized over 30 years and maybe even with a longer term because they're going to make more money the price might not be the the highest but over the time they're going to make the most amount of money maybe with that option there may be a lease option offer so if you're looking at the owner financing unless it's an interest only type offer there is principal pay down so if they were like a landlord and they've been renting it, well, they're not losing any equity every month. If they've sold it to us on a contract, whether contract for deed or all-inclusive, they have some principal pay down every month that we're paying them their, their money. So with a lease option, they stay the same. Right. So they're not giving up any of their equity. They're not going to get much money up front, but... They may not have been expecting much money up front. They may not need much money. They may not have that much equity. And they like the idea that there's no maintenance and repairs and that someone else is going to deal with this whole thing. So those are typically the type of offers that it, there may be a seller carry back in there or a subject to. And that's totally dependent on what they owe. Subject to is I only use that when... 
there's a certain situation or they owe they, they have very little equity. Okay. Owner financing is structured and the way that I look at how to do things is I've got to run some rents. I got to run some, what would the monthly payment be at this price with this interest rate? Because if there's existing debt, we got to cover it. Right. And potentially not only cover it, but create a cash flow. So sometimes I can make multiple offers. Sometimes I have one offer. It just depends. Okay. And I try to hear what the tone was. So, <laughs> so my... My next question is, what is the easiest way, in your opinion, to structure creative financing offers? And I, I, I get that maybe that's not an easy question to answer, but if if what's the first thing that comes to mind when I say that? So what's the easiest way I, to structure I'd, I'd probably try to simplify, especially if you're just starting out. So keep in mind that I've been doing this for you know 15 plus years, and I've I've. I've had a lot of education and I've tinkered with things. So I've been taught certain things and I'm like, wow, that's kind of cool. And then I kind of played around with it and created my own. So for me to try to explain how I figure out what to do is is a, probably a little more detailed than everyone is up for right now. So I would simplify. So I might have like, so maybe I, I make two different owner financing offers for practically every lead. And one would be, here's a five-year term at with this much down. So maybe it's a smaller amount down and uh, with an interest rate that's maybe on the lower side and the purchase price that's competitive. And then maybe I have a 10-year term with a higher price, a little higher down payment, you know, what, whatever, so I have a, one that's a little shorter term. I have one that's a little longer term. And you can play around with the, the other variables. Um, you might be willing to pay more to have a longer term. You might be able to pay a higher rate of interest. By the way, interest I find is like people don't worry too much about the interest, especially if you show what they're making over time. I have... I'm not saying I know I never have any resistance interest rate wise. Very little, very right. little. So it, it, it's more of a focus on term, or it's more of a focus on price, uh, or maybe the monthly payment. But even that one's typically not much of an issue. So I would tell you simplify. Maybe you do principal only payments. So hey, I'll offer you top price. I'll offer you this much a month, no interest. It's all going toward principal, but it's a fairly short term. And maybe there's one that's longer that's interest only. Interest only is a little harder to to get figured out. It's probably got to have a good amount of equity, a lower payment, or free and clear. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Well, I love that. Um, so with that said, my next question is, what's the best way you have found to sell prospective sellers on creative financing solutions. So starting with the benefits to them, um, how do you sell it? Well, to it your, starts It seller. starts out with, are you open? Would you consider taking payments for your equity? And they say yes. Yes, maybe anything but no okay. is something. So we'll create offers for them. Okay. And then our acquisition manager does the explaining from there. And so... And I'll give you a good example. So we, we just put a house under contract yesterday. 
and uh, our cash price. So it was tight. The numbers are a little tight. So he owed. He told us he owed one twenty seven. Okay. And he wanted one thirty five. And he wanted cash, but one thirty five cash didn't make sense. So our cash offer was like one twenty nine. Okay. Uh, which is I to put two grand in his yeah pocket. so and we'd cover the closing costs so it wasn't really like great so he was trying to get eight out of it yeah above and he was kind of attached to this number that's what he had paid years ago oh, okay. and so he he felt like he had to get that number so what we did is we created short-term financing so we offered him 135 with eight thousand dollars down and six month balloon. And we would make whatever his payment is. I think it's like $800 a month or $900 a month. So you're giving him his equity up front, his $8,000 up front that he wanted. Not necessarily because when we got the payout, we got his mortgage statement. It, he only owes like one twenty two, So he was off. So okay. I, I still created the LOI that, hey, we'll give you 8000 And then when I saw the mortgage, when we wrote up the purchase agreement yesterday... I said, you're going to get an additional $4,500, $4,800 at the time of closing in six months. So really, that's our way of being able to pay cash and pay a little bit more. But we don't want to, we don't want to go borrow. If we would have gone and borrowed that money, hard money, we'd end up paying a couple. Two coins, 12% interest. Yeah, and we'd have to put down, what, thirteen to 25000 Yeah, they They'd want us to have some skin in the game. Yeah. At least twenty percent. Yeah. So uh, we're putting down eight, and lovely. Uh, their their payment would have been you know at least a thousand dollars a month, if not more. We're just making the PITI payment, and you know three hundred and fifty dollars is going toward principal, so we'll get that balance during that term. And what our goal is is that we have enough equity, we're just going to buy it and put it right back on the MLS. And we're going to sell it. We're going to wholesale it. Okay. So, again, how did you sell that seller on that option? So, what we did is say, look, here's our cash offer. Well, that's too low. Well, great. Why don't we look at our other option, which can get you to where you want to be. You just have to wait on your money for a short period of time. So, he was totally against financing to begin with. And my guess is just wasn't explained properly up front. And when we were able to show him, it's like, look, we're going to give you $8,000. If we don't perform, you get to keep our $8,000 and you get your house back. But do you really think that we're going to not make your payment for the next three, four months uh, and give the house back after handing you an $8,000 check? So we're, we're going to get you what you want. We're going to cover the expenses we're going to cover any maintenance, any repairs. He has a tenant in there that's moving out. It's like, we don't need the tenant. That's fine. And then we're going to go get it cashed out for you, and you're going to get all your money. So which would you prefer? Would you like the cash deal where you're not getting your price, you're only going to net this much money, or would you rather have the short-term financing where I'm going to give you a, a down payment so you know we're real up front, we're going to continue to make the payment so you don't have to, and then we're going to get you cashed out and seriously three, four months, but we need six just in case. Okay. So you start with what what it is they want. So it's like, what do you want? And they wanted that $8,000. So we made those offers together, but, and those are the only two offers we made because 
he said he wasn't open to owner financing up front. Okay. But I also knew that he wanted that price and he wanted that $8,000 in equity. See, that is the cool thing with using creative financing because you kind of created a deal where there wasn't a deal before because he wouldn't have taken that 129 cash, right? Well, and to, to be honest, which deal do you think I wanted him to take? The $8,000 down. Of course. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't I? And yeah. I can tell you right this second, our acquisition guy has got a call last night and he's at an appointment. And it's the same exact situation. Our cash price is just not quite there. Um, and we have some leeway. We can come up. But our short-term owner financing, I told them, so we offered it for six months. I mean, tell them that we can get it done in four because we can. Actually, I bet you we can get it done in a little over two, but I don't want to give myself that short of a time frame. Right. We're, we're giving, it's a again, like a $100,000 purchase price. I can go borrow that money. That's not a problem. But it's going to cost you more. But why do I want to? I mean, it's, I can go get this done and... Even if I had to offer him twenty grand up front, that's probably what I have to offer to get the hard, hard money. money. Absolutely, and his payment's not—it's less, uh, it's smooth, and it's quick and easy. Okay, cool. See, I love that. That's why it is so important to learn creative financing, guys. Right there is because you can offer the seller an alternative solution that actually works better in your favor. And uh, with that said, I'm going to cut this this one off right now because we're kind of going over time. This is going to be a two-parter. I still have, you know, seven, eight more questions here. Um, so, guys, listen to our next episode. This is, going to, our, this is part one of Q&A with Jeff on seller financing or for beginners, um, creative financing for beginners. So our next episode is going to be part two, Q&A with Jeff on creative financing for beginners. Any last words, Jeff? I'm looking forward to part two. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys, and uh, stay tuned here. Thanks for listening to the Creative Financing Podcast. We need your feedback to continue to bring you the best strategies in creative financing. So please subscribe, rate, and review this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We greatly appreciate your ear and please pass this on. Until next time, create some terms. This show offers general information on creative financing strategies and real estate investments. Nothing contained herein should be considered personal, legal, or financial advice. Every state has individual laws governing the use and type of documents used to execute strategies discussed herein. You should consult with a local licensed real estate broker and attorney before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed and opinions of the guests are their own. Profits are not guaranteed and there's always inherent risk in real estate investing.